I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Welcome back. I'm here with two of my favorite organizers based in the middle of the country, Minneapolis, Rox Anderson and Anna Meyer, who are renowned in their region for creating amazing, welcoming, sexually liberatory spaces, especially for Black, Indigenous, people of color in the queer community. So we've been working together on and off for many years now. I'm really excited to have them here to tell their story. We are at the National LGBTQ Task Forces Creating Change Conference together this year, a conference we often work together on. And we've just finished up many, many workshops on sexual liberation for the 4,000 queers who are here in Dallas, Texas. So I'm just wondering uh, what you're thinking, Rex and Anna, about how the conference has gone this year and our role doing sexual liberation work at what is ostensibly the movement's sort of biggest skills building opportunity for queers every year. I personally am feeling pretty wonderful. I think that folks that come to this conference are looking for so many different things and the ability to show up as their whole sexual beings is one of those things that they're figuring out how to tap into. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like a privilege to be able to be in the room and it's always a fun and interesting group of folks who show up to do that work and I feel like I always learn as much as I'm there to help facilitate a process of learning. Mm. The conference has been great. I'm always amazed by the kind of range of folks who show up from folks who have not thought about their desire for years um, or their sexuality for years, even though they're doing maybe queer and trans work or they're doing HIV work or they're doing sex education Mm -hmm. and that they're not actually incorporating that into their own lives too and having that part be part of their work. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always really happy to see when folks can come and actually look at their own sexual liberation and what that means because I think we especially in organizing movements, we become so disconnected from ourselves in order to keep doing the work that we do. Right. And so I think that the that looking at ways that we can we can be in our systems and experience our systems and really actually look at our experiences and feel them and live with them and beyond them is really important for folks to have those spaces and a place where where people are talking frankly. So many people just don't talk about sex or kink or desire or whatever it be, right? And so just having, just watching the the room react to hearing people, storytellers, very frank, real stories about sexual desire, about getting fucked, about whatever it is that was that thing for them in that moment in their, you know, on their map, I think is always the best moment for me to just watch be like, they just said that out loud. Be like, yep, they did just say it out loud and they said it happily and enthusiastically and, you know, all of those things. And I think finding ways that we can pick out pieces of like, oh, because we all have we all have those good and those bad moments in our history mm-hmm. and really helping a process where you get to pick out moments to be able to kind of help you figure out where am I now and where do I want to go next right. is really helpful too. 
which reminds me that I forgot to do the Where Are You Now, which is everyone who comes on the pod introduces themselves by their name and three descriptors of their desire, as we do in the workshop, and then anything else you want to tell us about yourself. Okay, uh, rocks, and I like the pronouns they and them, and my descriptive words for uh, this weekend's workshop were butch to the bone (laughs) and sexy sound squirter. Sexy sound squirter. Oh, yes, hard hitter. Hard hitter. Yes. Nice. Thank you. I'm Anna Meyer, and I use she, her for pronouns. And I kind of built, so I'm going to have more than three. Of course. Um, Because at the beginning, I didn't have my thing down, my name tag in the workshop, so I was helping other people get theirs. And so I put my, often I'll put kinky, intense switch, but I added some words yesterday. So yesterday, after doing some thinking, like, you know, I always want to add something new of, like, where am I really at right Right, now? Or, you know, what are other things I'm connecting with? So I put nasty, kinky toppy switch non-binary femme presenting daddy's girl <laughs> and dirty whore and that dirty was my whore. other oh, one okay. that was my other one <laughs> i would say i'd love to hear your experiences but i love the name tag exercise you know uh, what happens uh, for our listeners is 200 people or 150 people come into the workshop and as they come in we have a list of possible descriptors of their desire on the wall. And it's just that moment of kind of dislocation of the usual ways we do our name tags, right? Mm -hmm. We're disrupting a common, you know, we're not asking you where you're from, what your job is, etc. We want to know what you're about in your desire life. And what's that been like for you doing your own name tags and helping others? This year I felt really, I had some fun with it. And on the kind of descriptor bulletin board that has, you know, a variety of different ways in which people have described themselves over the years, I got to put up a word from a past mapper who asked me to bring their word in to this workshop Ah. and their word was glitter hole Um, glitter hole glitter hole (laughs) (laughs) so i got to write glitter hole up on the big board and that felt really a kind of a fun way to to bring that person into the room mm. because they had a great mapping experience when we mapped in Minneapolis. Mm. So I, I promised them that I would write it on the board oh. this time and took a picture of it and, and they, they got a great joy out of that. Oh, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. How about you, Anna? You're often helping people when they're coming in and checking them in. I am. You know, and I think that's also why, like yesterday, I took some time after kind of everybody was checked in and folks were getting settled to actually think about, okay, what else would I put on my name tag today? My favorite thing to let everybody know when they walk in the door, these are the three descriptives for this moment today. Mm -hmm. That's all. You're not locked in for life. And the like relief that they're like, oh. And I'm like, you can change it in 10 minutes if you want. Yes. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like somehow if I write it down, I'm locked in for life. Oh. Um, and so just the ability to kind of play and change those. Um, and often there's three words that show up on mine, you know, kinky, intense switch. But right. really looking at and utilizing the opportunity to be like, 
what else am I feeling today? Because I don't want to just um, talk about sexual liberation. Right. I also want to participate, work on my own sexual liberation. Right, right. And so I think that often when we get into that facilitator, presenter, space holding, you know, what I do is vibe, you know, and space holding more than vibe watching, right. but try to pr- provide that like calm, central nervous container for the room. Yes. Um, you know, and I think that when when you get into that role, sometimes then you can't participate. So there's some things in the workshop I can't participate in right? Um, because I can't go there because I need to stay in, in the, the safe. Space of yeah, holding. exactly. And so like the, you know, uh, the, the truth is exercise. That's one that I'm like, I can't actually do that and hold space at the same time mm-hmm. um, because I can't negotiate that different, very different space holding mm-hmm. thing. Um, so it's fun for me to sometimes play with the words then and the descriptors mm-hmm. um, and not feel like I have to be locked into them or you ever use the same ones again mm-hmm. that I could have a different name tag today and that that would be um, still expressing very authentic you know, parts of myself, you know, in one workshop yesterday, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, identity and kind of talking about your whole self and figuring out who your whole self is for yourself. And so I said, there's everything from a five-year-old little girl to a dirty old man in me. So that's a lot to navigate and negotiate (laughs) for me to even understand about myself, let alone also communicate to other people, you know, effectively. Right. Right. Well, I love what you said about locked in for life. I feel like that is kind of the essence of what we're trying to undo in the workshop and bust through. Because even, I mean, so many people come in and feel locked in for life to whatever they got from their families of origin or their religious tradition or some other authority in their lives. But then a lot of people get into the queer communities or whatever their community of choice is, Mm -hmm. and they feel locked in for life around whatever expectations there are there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it is such a a gift that you give people when they come in to say, you know, this this is just our moment. Mm -hmm. Just be in this moment and try to tune in with yourself to feel like, hey, what are our words today? And we do see people come into the workshop over many years and their name tags are different every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's that evolution. There's that being in the moment that's so delightful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing you were talking about, which is a role we don't talk about that much on the pod, but I, I'd love to, because uh, you just do this so beautifully. And uh, it's so important when we're doing liberation work. I mean, lots of people will say, how do I take these mapping things and, and move out from here? which is whenever we have a big room full of people talking about their sex and their desire and their histories, our biographies, which are often so full of violence because our culture is so violent, how do we create a space where people really have the room to step up and be themselves in that moment? And one of them is is that we create vibe watchers or we create space holders that have actual roles that are dedicated. And you've been doing that for a bunch of years. I thought it went really well this year. I mean, the, the tools that you put into the room, I felt like people used them through the whole workshop. And uh, there was just a really grounded sense of being able to take care of ourselves moment to moment. People made huge disclosures this year. I mean, I was, I, I broke down and cried five, six times during the workshop this year. Just, I just felt honored by people's disclosures, you know, I really moved. You know, how do you prepare yourself as someone who holds space for a room of 150 people who are looking at their sex biographies? What's that like and what's it about? I think that for the base for me is really about making sure that I can be as settled as I can. 
um, literally settling my central nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tend to be pretty sensitive to uh, to energy, and that includes like electricity, vibrations in the building, all those different things. So it's a constant thing that I need to do of keeping my own central nervous system calmed. Mm-hmm. And you know, the exercises that I've shared in the um, you know past few mapping. Uh, workshops that we've done together are really about helping our central nervous systems, but not in our heads. Um, I think that we tend to, especially when we're talking about kind of this sexual liberation, we get really in our heads. Mm -hmm. And so I try to use exercises for myself and then also help others learn exercises that support a calm system. So there's a breathing technique that I do that is really simple um, that I can even share right now just with folks to know. And what it does is this specific kind of breathing engages our vagus nerve. And our vagus nerve is the nerve of connection, the nerve of of that kind of bonding and that social connection with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a calming. Um, And so a lot of people, even just getting nervous walking in somewhere, our central nervous systems go up. Right. And our body starts to constrict. Oh, you can can see it. Yeah, absolutely. You can feel the right as people enter. It's like, what's going to be required of me in this room? Yep, absolutely. And the unknowns, the the fear they have about whatever it is they think might happen or what's going on for them and what they might have to say or what the reality of that is. So you can just feel people's central nervous systems kind of go up. And so just a simple breathing in through your nose, slow and deep. And holding and then out through your mouth even slower. And just that simple action I use about 200 times a day myself Mm -hmm. um, just to help keep my own central nervous system calm with Mm -hmm. all of the stimuli. You know, we have, I can't even remember how many billions of, you know, synapses of of stimuli happening with every single moment. Um, And so anything that we can do to kind of help our systems um, open up a little bit more and anytime we're constricted and activated, it's really hard to be able to do that. So keeping my own system is... Um, calm is one of my own keys to that. And then energetically, just trying to really actually hold that container. So A, making it very clear folks are very welcome when they walk in. This is going to be somewhere where it's comfortable. Um, We're going to greet you. We're going to say, hi, welcome. Mm -hmm. Here's your handout. Here's some descriptors. Mm -hmm. We're going to share and reveal things about ourselves. We might mention our descriptors, um, you know, and sometimes they're very explicit, sometimes not, you know, but we're going to be vulnerable right there with you. Um, And we're going to greet you intentionally when you come in. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to make sure that you see us walking and sitting around the room, making sure and looking around and and checking people. Mm -hmm. There's some things about holding space that are much harder to describe. But these are very concrete in the ways yeah. that we set the table for this. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there is like an energetic kind of thing, you know, that I some energy things that I do to help hold the room, but really just also just trying to send everybody calm energy. Um. Right. 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 So lovely. It was so lovely yesterday, yeah. honestly. I, I just, I really felt it. I mean, we've been doing this for like, I, I've been doing this for 11 years at this conference, and yeah. yesterday really did feel like one of the more grounded uh, and they all felt great, but there was a kind of real peace and yeah. real calm in the room while people were making stunning disclosures. Stunning yeah. disclosures. And I had a few folks come up to me after this year's um, and thank me. 
Mm -hmm. um, very specifically, mm -hmm. um, that they could feel the grounding presence oh, and that it was a... Um, um, it was nice to have my energy in the room, so um, so that felt good. Uh, also, great, it's really yeah. great. It's such a huge yeah. contribution. So thanks for letting us know about that, because I know a lot of people in sexual liberation work they they're trying to figure out how to create these spaces, and I think it's important to share the kinds of things that we've learned that really work. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the other thing I'm wondering about about you, we've been listening to everybody else's stories about their you know, important points on their map and what's happening for them and what's unfolding. And I'm wondering what's unfolding for both of you. Yeah, I think my my process this kind of year has been a lot of reflection. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's uh, because of the work that I've been doing kind of just in general in community around figuring out how to create an LGBT community center in Minneapolis. Mm. And so that keeps me in my head a little bit. And so I think what I've noticed about my own sexuality and my own kind of development is being in these spaces where I'm kind of privileged to uh, be uh, witnessing other people's journey is also kind of adding to that reflective space. Uh, and so I think is kind of where I'm at in my sex uh, line, you know, in my life is like really reflective and thinking about moments in which I'm being kind of like touched, not triggered, but things that are um, giving me joy, bringing me joy. And a lot of that is, it has been in witnessing other people come to their kind of aha moments about mm. their own, their own sexual lines. And so I think, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about like, mm, how do I want to engage in that in a more professional level. And I've always thought, you know, like I have a friend at home in Minneapolis who, you know, has probably a very similar degree to you and, and does work <laughs> does work in sexual health and right. helps people figure out their kind of sexual stuff. So what keeps coming to me is, I, I think as I get a little bit older, I, I keep envisioning myself kind of in a, in a chair and a, like a leather chair saying things like and how does that make you feel <laughs> so so I, so I don't know like that's not like juicy like sex but I think that that's where I'm thinking about like how I want to turn this information how do I want to you know be in my body beyond like the acknowledgement of the you know I'm not a I'm freaky, you know, mm -hmm, I'm kinky. Mm -hmm. um, and and what about that do I want to use in my community right. kind of in a different way? Right. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I, you know, I mean, I love your storytelling. You always have such great sex storytelling. But I think of how many communities have or don't have uh, masculine of center uh butches of color as therapists as the people who are saying and how does that make you feel and what a difference one person could make in a community who identified that way given you know how many of the people we see you know in our communities who really need to identify with their therapists or yeah. really need to feel like their therapist is a home 
not a place they have to translate themselves across race or gender or sexuality. It's it's like a revolutionary chair for you to be in. So mm-hmm. it's it's thrilling to hear. Like I always think of you as being the doula or the midwife or the birther of so many different people's journeys. You know, and there's a million different ways to do that. So um, I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I'll be calling on you for that later of reference. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and how about you, Anna? It, it, what's, what's been going on with your journey at this conference? You know, I've been thinking a lot. You know, I had a, a traumatic brain injury some years ago. Yeah. Um, and didn't take appropriate time to heal. Um, and, you know, now have some lifelong kind of, you know, things that I deal with because of that. Um, and so really thinking and looking at healing um, for the past couple of years. You know, I started training to become a biodynamic craniosacral therapist, right. um, really looking at modalities that that go back to ancient ways, the before, mm-hmm. remembering the before is what I call it, mm-hmm. um, the before we knew all of this yeah. um, and before it all messed us all up. Um, yeah. And so, so looking at at how how does the healing part, right? Because sexual liberation is also part of healing in my mind. And so how do we connect and also do things in an authentic way in terms of, of building relationships and connection? Um, you know, you and I have been blessed to know each other for 20 plus years. That's kind of crazy. Um, you know, and I've known many other people at this conference for that 20. long yeah. also. Right. Um, and community is beautiful, wonderful, delicate, and complicated. Mm -hmm. And so how do we, those of us who are in long-term community and facilitating this work, also look at our own stuff to make sure that we are consistently growing and that we are showing up authentically in ways that we are connected and being accountable and and, and really incorporating that healing, that way of being? Because I'm much more in a place of... I'm moving a little bit turtle speed these days is how I feel. Um, I'm not, and I never have been a very quick mover anyway. (laughs) So, so now I'm even a little bit slower. So really, because I really want to, sometimes my reactions are quick and I much prefer to respond than to react, react. Yeah. right? We work um, on that so much in the workshop, right? Yeah, and it's so hard with our, I mean, our physical systems react. They are yeah. constantly reacting. Yeah. So then if you have any sort of disability, chronic pain, or other things that you're dealing with that, you know, anxiety, then that's even more so. Mm-hmm. So then so then, how can we incorporate ways of, of healing and ways to support our systems that also can expand our access to sexual liberation, right? right. Because you can't just be like oh I just want to do everybody I mean you can want to do everybody and that's a wonderful goal right. and <laughs> there's also some practical skills to that of like well how do you do that how then? do I navigate how do I yeah <laughs> um, and what am I bringing to the table right right yeah. um, knowing who who you are and I think that we are such complicated human beings and we're really good liars liars to ourselves you often say that Jamie right, right. Um, you know and therefore lying to other people right, and it's right. a survival thing right absolutely so I'm really at a point of of how does how does this work continue to shape and shift in a way where it is representative of all of the things that we do all the way through yeah, yeah. Um, because that's a really important piece to me for that model to be modeling exactly what we're trying to create. Yes. Um, and that's never an easy thing to do because life happens and we're messy humans. I'm, I'm a messy human. So, <laughs> yeah, 
messy perfect humans. Right. Um, you know, and so really looking at, at some of that and also looking at um, at identities and how my various identities, um, gender is something I'm definitely kind of not re-exploring gender's always been something that's yeah, been on my mind but because i'm more femme presenting um a lot of folks assume i'm femme and so i also have the experience of um being interpreted and then treated um as Certain femme ways, yeah. which that has not always been my gender expression right. um and presentation i have been more androgynous i have been more butch i've been more studly yeah, that's how um, i met you yeah and so so those pieces of me are still there and so f- kind of also like looking at my privilege um because i don't necessarily feel as though i'm in the wrong body and i also know that my gender is much more expansive than my femme presentation mm-hmm. so really looking at you know this year's the first time i've put non-binary on there for i can't even remember how many uh, years so um great. and part of it is just about like that is part of my experience and if i don't actually tell people that they don't know and it also has great impacts on and always has on my life just as gender does for all of us right and really looking at how can i explain that to myself and interpret for myself and then also communicate with other people about that so i think it's been a lot of exploration like rock said a lot of like self-reflection yeah because i've been doing you know taking time to heal figuring out what is that next kind of Mm -hmm. you know phase in my life look like Mm -hmm. um with uh with kind of doing this new holistic healing work which is the same work that I've been doing I've been holding space for decades for folks it's just this is a very different kind of space instead of it's a room I'm actually touching it and holding space for your central nervous system and all your patterns and you know all of your experiences so um so a lot of that to figure out kind of where am I now yeah um to be able to be open to what might come next so interesting so interesting and you know it's making me think of a really important way you've held space in your community for years is shifting gears slightly because I love to do little how-to segments <laughs> on the okay. pod. And, you know, you all have created these incredible queer-centric, people-of-color-centric sex parties yeah. for years mm-hmm. in your community. And I wonder if you can tell us maybe what are some of the key elements of a party like that? Like, how do you do it? What are the things that go into creating one that make them as sort of safe and phenomenal and community building and successful as you have done. Can you give us some hip tips? Well, I think I learned uh, most of those hip tips from Ignacio. Mm -hmm. So Um, that's Ignacio Rivera, who Mm -hmm. is also on the pod this season, running right before your episode. So Amazing. For our listeners. So yeah, so Ignacio Rivera's trailblazing ways of creating people of color driven sex parties in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. has sort of moved around the country as it were so tell us about that tell us about what you took from that from you know that tradition well I think you know what I took first was shock and awe and that (laughs) and, and that just you know like happened at uh you know a play party I was really taken back because I'd never been to a play party like that where I felt like people felt comfortable, didn't feel weird. And even though there were lots of people in a very small hotel room, it felt really safe. 
and it was very intentional the way that Ignacio created the space and welcomed people and kind of gave them some touch point house rules and we did like a go around where people said what they were interested in and talked about their pronouns and talked about what name they wanted to use that day. I had never experienced anything like that and so I I had the fortunate experience to, you know, kind of befriend and hang out with Ignacio during that conference. And then we kept in touch through the years, maybe, I don't know, four conferences later, you know, we had a room that was big and there was a need for a room. And so, so we offered our room and kind of got brought into that family of creating safer spaces and then brought Ignacio to Minneapolis to help us create some parties and spaces there and just really watched and learned from this great teacher who was really doing something at that time that was groundbreaking because as a person of color whose gender was, you know, kind of flopping back and forth at that point and who you know, I was really trying to figure out how I could be this freaky person in an authentic way and not do harm. And they just modeled that in a way that was so perfect, that was so caring. And when I asked questions, wasn't weird about keeping that knowledge like they wanted to share it and they Mm -hmm. they saw a need it even wrote some stuff out for me so we could model that in the future Mm -hmm. and so connection with Ignacio really helped shape and form that and I think that that desire to have that connection or to feel really in awe of what I experienced was because of so many play party experiences that didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. It felt really where I felt kind of preyed upon and I felt kind of tokenized and I felt not really safe because people were using in ways that were, you know, beyond being being able to give consent or get consent. There was stuff around race play that I wasn't cool with. So when I got to come into that space with Ignacio at that first party, I, I was like, oh, this person actually has a niche. They have a uniqueness to the way that they're packaging this all the way down to the like little hand flyers that were passed out individually to people. It wasn't electronic. You know, there was screening, but but it was in a way that created an authentic connection from the point of saying, hey, this party is happening. Here's a piece of paper that will help you come into the door if you want. And I I just think that 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 modeling really Mm -hmm. helped helped me be able to frame the way that I wanted to do parties and sharing in that experience with Anne, I think really helped us create this bridge for people. And, you know, people ask me, I would think at least monthly and sometimes, you know, depending on what time of the year, especially if it's spring, you know, they're asking me like almost daily, (laughs) when's the next next party party? and why has it been so long since, you know, you did the last one? Well, because there are a lot of work and, Mm -hmm. and I think that 
the ability to be able to do those and do those wells really came from a great teacher. Go say anything else about um, what you've been able to create together? Yeah, I mean, been. I think that's, you know, some of the like kind of practical things, right, is the intentionality. So I am always evaluating risk. That's just part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I can reduce harm. Right. So everything from, you know, there was some folks we were talking to once. They were like, oh, we're going to throw a play party. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Are you going to have BIPOC folks there? Yeah. Have you thought about what happens if the police show up? Is there another exit door? What about all those questions? And they're like, I didn't even think about that. So because Rox and I have been doing work for so long with events, especially within queer, trans and BIPOC communities where we need to ensure that safety for our communities, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to invite somebody somewhere, I want the space to be as safe as it can be or I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I would rather not throw a party than throw a bad party. Yep. especially for a play party. Yep. I'm not trying to cause anybody else trauma. I want right. them to find right. this to be a sexually empowering space. Like I have when I've gone to those parties that have provided that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, you know? And so I think some of the practicalities of like looking at just the physical safety of the space of who you're inviting, how much space is there? Are there multiple exits in case people do need to get out of the space for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. Is there a place where folks can and step away if they visually need a break or something visually is making them uncomfortable mm-hmm. with another activity that someone else is doing in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, that go around at the beginning so people can see who's in the room, what their names are, and also get an idea of if someone's interested in the same thing that they're interested in, right. you know, right. and then a closed door. This is one that I have found at a lot of parties that I just don't do. If, if I'm involved in a party, the doors will close at a certain point and nobody else gets in, right. period. Because I have had the experience of being in a party and having other people allowed in yeah. or sneak in, and that was not a cool experience. Yeah. It completely ruined the my party. experience, my partner's experience, people we were playing with, like, you know, on so many different levels. Yeah. And so for me, that's a huge one because consent also includes with consenting to everybody's in the room at the time of door close. Right. You're building a community. Yep. We'll and this is what it's going to be. Too, right? It's yep. like, this is our community. We finished ground rules. We're done. Yep. And so I think that's a really practical, good tip for folks. Mm-hmm. Having folks who are vibe watchers where you are not actively playing. I think it's yep. very difficult to play and fully and then, engage and vibe watch. And so watch. if that's yeah. doing shifts so that some folks can engage in a party for half of the party and then they're vibe watching for the other, right. DMing, whatever, whatever folks call are calling it. it. Everyone uses different terms for it. So I think that that making sure that those things are in place, making sure that folks have access to safer sex supplies they need, to water, to snacks, that people are paying attention if there are drugs or alcohol allowed. I come from a harm reduction status, Mm -hmm. so I usually will not have a you cannot bring or do drugs or alcohol because I think that triggers shame and then that interferes with people's liberation. And I think that it's more about you have to be here to be able to consent. So if you want to consume, it needs to be a light consumption so that you can be present present and you can actually consent. And that will tap you out. And you can self-select to leave or take a break, whatever you need to do. We're not just going to throw you out on the street because you're too drunk to play. That would be 
ridiculous to then throw somebody out on the street right. and kick them out in that state, right? right? But you can tap people out. And can tap people out and address the situation and be right. willing to do that. Right. If you don't feel comfortable having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody, you probably shouldn't be hosting a you play party. You can't a party. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because when you do that time that you do need to, you know, facilitate a difficult converse, you know, and, and deal with a difficult situation, it's going to be that uncomfortable conversation that you need to know how to have. And I think also making sure that there is kind of opportunity in different places for folks to be and interact and music. I always love music and Mm -hmm. lights. A lot of people do not think about sensory overload for folks paying attention to what the sensory overload is, be that lights, sound, visuals visuals that are going on Mm -hmm. and finding the right balance for what your group is. Right. Right. Um, Because everyone is different. But those are some of the practical tips. And we also go off a list. We don't ever do just open invites to everybody. So there is a process of, okay, well, so-and-so referred so-and-so. So now they're on the list. And then we met this person, you know, so... So there's a list that we go off of. We don't just post up on Fet Life and be like, here's a play party. Yeah, no, you're building community, yeah. right? You're building a consistent, roving group of folks who are learning from each other, contributing, and then are accountable to each other after the party, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like just people then just slide out and whatever's happened is gone. And what you're really making me think about is, you know, I do a lot of this work on college campuses, and I so often hear from people that they hate the campus sex culture, although they don't put it that way. They just are like, you know, I, I don't have good sex here, or the social life is terrible here, and you know, everywhere we live, we are creating sex culture that either stays with the white supremacist, patriarchal, sexist, bullshit stuff that makes it so hard for us to form ourselves and express our sexuality, or we're countering it. We're creating something that builds a space inside of all that that has such what I think of as revolutionary potential. I mean, that's that's what's so amazing being in these spaces. It's like, here we are, we're the people who are not supposed to have pleasure because of the way society's defined mm-hmm. us, right? There's never supposed to be any space for this. And we have created mm-hmm. the terms for this, right? Yes. And we can do that anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I've met so many like cis women on campuses who just hate the the conditions of heterosexuality on their campuses. And I'm like... Create another sex culture. Create mm-hmm. your own sex parties. Put the rules up. Say what they have. Maybe they're just mm-hmm. make-out parties. Maybe they're, you know, whatever. Whatever you want them to be. Maybe they're fisting parties. I don't know. Like, what's your thing? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's There's like, options. Right. There's so many <laughs> options. Sit down with your best pals, figure out what your thing is, and, and invariably, the women will say to me, well, nobody's going to come to this party. And I'm like, I can assure you. <laughs> Make your list. People will come to your party. Yeah. You know, I just, I love that. I mean, I love helping people realize that we have you know we're brilliant we have the seeds to create these really liberating spaces inside of all this stuff and that Mm -hmm. is the big get over on the patriarchy and all the rest of it i think so (laughs) Mm -hmm. well this has just been such a great visit is there anything else you want our listeners to know about how you are what you're doing is there something you want to tell people about about what's coming up for you I, if people want to connect in the metro area, our Facebook and email is ramit612, R-A-A-M-612, at gmail.com. Folks can reach us there about any of the things that we do, so be it sexual liberation or consulting or healing work stuff. Oh, 
Love it. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you soon. Yes. All right. Hey, it's time for that quick break in the pod where I thank my sponsors. You know, it's not easy to get sexual liberation work funded, and I can't thank these generous, visionary sponsors enough. The Freeman Foundation, centering Eros and sexual liberation in the LGBTQ movement for justice. The Wild Geese Foundation, working to defend human rights and grow food sovereignty. Elizabeth Scott, a longtime mapper and philanthropist based in Minneapolis. And finally, Grinder for Equality, leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ human rights around the world. Thanks, everyone. Rox and Anna's fantastic DIY episode is coming out right on time because we find ourselves in the midst of the explosion of the coronavirus globally. It's a huge moment of DIY for all of us. How are we going to make do? And as a sexpert, what do I have to say during a time when all of the best public health advice is that we should keep our distance from one another, for our own sake, but also for the sake of the most vulnerable people in our midst? Well, firstly, as a sex activist of a certain age, this is not my first rodeo. Many of us feel the strong echoes of having survived the onset of AIDS, which was infinitely more confusing and dire on many counts. First off, our immediate family of friends and loved ones was getting sick at a terrifying velocity. Two, we had no idea how the virus was transmitted and all kinds of incendiary bad information was circulating. Three, many people were dying very young and quickly, and there was no treatment. Four, the federal government didn't give two shits. In fact, we were subjected to dismissive jokes about our dead loved ones on venues like The Tonight Show, and we experienced condemnation about our quote-unquote lifestyle on the floor of the Congress. Probably one of the greatest activist interventions at the onset of AIDS was the formation of LGBTQ care and resistance networks, many that persist today, and many others that have built on the scaffolding of that time. It's important to note that lesbian feminists involved in HIV care brought a ton of expertise to the table as that crisis unfolded. Many of us had been working in rape crisis centers and domestic violence shelters for years, And since we were in another movement that the feds and larger culture didn't give two shits about, we brought the model of vast volunteer care networks, buddy systems, peer support, emergency room accompaniments, and pro se peer legal advocacy into the work. So a question for us right now might be, how is our care network? Does it exist? Why or why not? How can we activate our friendship and family networks in ways that are supportive during this time of limited in-person connection? How can we create a foundational safety net that might carry us through this time? One of my favorite pieces to emerge in this period is by Kenneth Bailey and Lori Lobenstein at the Design Studio for Social Intervention, who remind us that while disruption leaves us vulnerable, it can also be very creative. They wrote, one opportunity we have with COVID-19 
is to build our capacity to jump out of everyday routines when faced with crisis. Although this temporal shift is happening to us vertically, that is, it's being imposed on us by our government, jobs, schools, or larger logistical operations like airlines, trains, and the like, it is shifting us out of our daily routines. Now we have the opportunity to horizontally, that is collectively, decide to stop living as if everything is okay, when in fact it isn't. Stepping out of ordinary time, out of our often numbing routines, noticing the fundamentally problematic ways our society is structured, and perhaps by extension how we've structured our friendship networks, our sexual lives, and our family formations, all of this can be unsettling, but also liberating. A moment of such massive disruption like this is really rare, and we ought not squander its creative possibilities. What needs to change in our lives? What larger changes do we want to work or vote toward, given the vast inequities and vulnerabilities that are so starkly rendered during these weeks of amplified isolation? One creative reality we can be excited about in this time of great disruption is that sex has always been a go-to for humans in times of change and society-level crisis, as evidenced by the significant uptick in pregnancies during widespread periodic power outages. And for example, I'm not the only one who can remember the explosion of the sex phone lines during the AIDS era. The phone sex industry felt like it literally sprang up overnight, and tens of thousands of people shifted their cruising strategies from going out to favorite public sex haunts or hanging in the bars to lounging at home and dialing up sexy voices for connection, role play, and getting off. Longtime AIDS activist J.D. Davids, whose new venture, The Cranky Queer, looks at disability justice and care among queers, asks us to consider this creative possibility. J.D. says, Is this the time you get to say what you've been meaning to say, but just haven't bothered to in your sex life? I love this provocative question. You've got time on your hands. What have you been failing to say about your sex and sexuality with your partners? J.D. notes that this might not be the time to take on a really big topic, but to focus on the low-hanging fruit, such as, Hey, you know, I used to really love it when you put your tongue in my ear, but I have to say over the last couple of years, I've become more and more uncomfortable with it. Hey, and what about that thing you've been wanting to do that you just haven't gotten up the courage to ask for yet? This could be liberation in the time of the coronavirus for you. Here's another comment from JD. Phone sex is real sex. Video sex is real sex. And... You know, we're fortunate to be living in an era where there are just so many more ways to connect by phone or video than there ever have been. Whatever our favorite sexual taste is, there are literally dozens of ways to find our match in the world of distant sex commerce, whether old school porn, live cams, chat via dating apps, or phone sex. Perhaps none of these options have been in our sex repertoire before now. Here's our opportunity to venture into untried territories. And beyond the commercial options, my preferred areas for sexploration are always community-based. And here we are, back to our do-it-yourself options. The mix of a wide variety of social groups, our lover and friendship circles, 
and the myriad desires embedded and adjacent to them, and our own home tech capabilities give us seemingly endless possible ways to identify, express, and engage possible sex partners and practices in the safe and solo confines of our homes, apartments, and bedrooms. So, while everyone is Zooming their heretofore in-person classes, executive meetings, staff supervision, and professional conferences, we can be Zooming or Skyping or FaceTiming our sex. As we all stumble around, grope our way through really terrible online meetings, mess up, have the tech go wrong, teach a disjointed video class for the first time, why not do the same around our sex and sexuality in this period? Why not laugh, try something new, say something brave, be goofier and more awkward than usual? As someone who is constantly mapping the shape, flavor, and configurations of desire in our communities, I'm interested in and excited to hear about all the ways our sex is going to change, shift, transform, and rejigger as we navigate life with Corona. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I love to dream of fame. Maybe I'll shine. I'd like to see your name right beside mine. I can see we're in harmony. Looks like we both agree on what to do.